What do you want to be doing five years from now? It's the first Monday of the month, and we tackle that question and more on today's question and answer show. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 152. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. This is a weekly coaching show for to help us all be better leaders through improved communication, human relations, and personal leadership, the people side of business and organizations. Welcome back, and it's the first fun Monday of the... I'm having a trouble talking here today. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Not to mention having a problem with podcast feeds. Sorry for any of you who got... Things messed up on your podcast apps in the last week. It is just so frustrating when I get an extra one in there and I have to swipe to the left and hit delete. It's horrible. You know what it was this time? It wasn't even the technology. It was me. I put an ampersand symbol. Ampersand? In, yeah. Is that did I did I say that right? Maybe not. Someone will write in and correct me. And I put a, that symbol in the podcast description to write that we were doing Q and A shows the first Monday of the month. Crashed the entire feed on Friday. It, I do think it's sort of ironic though that we did a show on typography recently and typography took this show down for mm. 24 hours well today we i know we we're focused partially on career although you didn't want to reject questions that didn't have to do with well i suppose don't really all questions have to do with our career on this show see that's the thing career direction mm. could be very inclusive i didn't could think be. about that when we started yes. but that is today's topic and we would never reject questions and you got me thinking though a lot about career and actually what also got me thinking is dave and i were invited to go attend this wonderfully inspiring event there is a theater organization called the Seegerstrom Center for the Arts here in Orange County. It doesn't matter if you know where that is or, or what that is, but they do a wonderful program every summer, which we had never heard about before about a week or two ago called Summer at the Center. And what that event is, is it brings together different students, young people from in their teens, it looked like, yeah, dis disadvantaged youth in yeah. some way, um, or youth who had had some challenge along the way. There's different partnering organizations that bring them together. There's the Orange County Education Department, and then there is the Juvenile Justice Organization, and then the arts coming in, and these these young people get to learn how to sing and how to dance, and it really helps them express themselves and build a lot of confidence. And it really was a wonderful program. They warned us in advance that they had a little reception for people and some of the, the people that were there. And I, I was sort of glad to be warned. They said, sometimes they're going to sing and you're going to just be blown away. Mm -hmm. And other times they're going to sing and they're not going to quite be on tune. <laughs> and so, yeah. But it was just wonderful to see. And then they had at the end, they had a video that showed the whole transformation. It was just a really wonderful event. Amazing program. Got me just thinking, amazing. Yeah, it got me thinking a lot about careers because part of it was they had them all introduce themselves in the beginning. Some of these kids have been incarcerated before. Some of them have had substance abuse challenges. And so just to see the inspiration that each one of them brought as they got up to the stage and introduced themselves. And, and I pay a lot of attention to language. And so some of them said, I am so-and-so, I am going to be a nurse. Mm -hmm. And then someone else would say, I'm interested in photography. And then someone else would say, I hope to someday be. 
And then one guy <laughs> toward the end, I'm so-and-so. I love people unconditionally. It was just neat to see their different answers. And it got me to thinking about a story, which Dave will link to in the show notes, that was told on the podcast This American Life a couple of years ago. And it tells the story of Hale County, Alabama, which you may have never heard of before. I had not, but it is famous, infamous for having a quarter of the population there, one out of every four people has some type of a disability and claims disability, so receives disability funds. And I thought that they handled that subject with such an appreciation for the complexities of the issues involved in disability. The one story that really stands out to me so much as it relates to our careers was of a woman who was claiming disability and she had so much physical pain that she would often wind up crying at work because she was in so much pain. She was standing all of the time and it just brought her so much physical pain. And they asked her, what is your dream job? And she said her dream job was to work at the disabilities office where they do all of the administration, the paperwork and, and, and go through that. And they thought, oh, you know, perhaps then because she felt like she could maybe relate to the people who were trying to process through the disability system, or was it perhaps because she thought she could give them hope, or, or what was it? And her answer, do you remember her answer, Dave? I, I didn't hear the episode, so I remember you telling me about it, though. Yeah. It was something to the effect of she wanted that job because it was the only job she knew of where you could sit down all day long and she wouldn't be in pain. Was it, it was something like that? It was the only job she knows of where you sit down when you work. And so she imagined what that would be like to not be in that kind of pain. Mm. Her dream job was a dream job where you don't have to stand up all day. And the only job that she knew of that you don't have to stand up all day is at the disabilities office because that's that's her world that she sees. So as we think today and answer some of these questions about career direction, one of the things I really would encourage everyone, regardless of how much exposure that you have had to different jobs, I would encourage you to spend some time, once a quarter even, going out and if you're not regularly exposed to different kinds of jobs, doing some kind of research around that. Now it might be, research that you do that's specific to your career? When I think about career risks I've taken in the past, there are many of them have gone well, and I'm glad I did them. And even the ones that didn't go well, I am glad that I did them too, because I learned a lot from them. And I think that our ability, I think back to the, I think to the story on thinking past what we know, when you think about the woman who is looking to work in the disability office, that's a really valuable thing to do. So I hope that we'll be able to do that today through some of these questions. So let's tackle the first one here. The first question is from Aaron. He emailed this in and said, during a one-on-one -on -one meeting with my boss, uh, or during a one-on-one -on -one meeting, my boss asked me where I wanted to go in my career. And I didn't have an answer for him. More concerning was that I didn't have an answer for myself. He recommended that I have a five-year plan, and he gave me a few ideas to consider. With so many paths, both inside and outside my company, where do I begin? And this comes back right to what we were just talking about, Bonnie. Um, and so I, I, when I read this question, I had a couple of thoughts initially. Um, and two, two thoughts are, 
it, it is it is very easy to get kind of caught up in the organization we know and the career path that has been laid out for us in our organization. So I think it's great, Aaron, that your boss has actually asked you, you know, where do you want to go and what's your career path look like? Because a lot of organizations kind of just assume that. So that that dialogue is wonderful that that you've engaged in that. And so I I always like to go back to what Stephen Covey said, begin with the end in mind of where is it that you actually want to go. And so one exercise that I will often do with people I'm working with when they're thinking through some of these questions as far as where do I want to go in my career is we do like the 90th birthday party exercise of what if you could imagine what your 90th birthday party is going to look like what would it be like when you go there what will people say about your life what will people say who are around you what have you done what have you accomplished what maybe did you not do what kind of family do you have what experiences have you had and that while that is a different conversation than kind of what's your next step in your career path right now, it gets you thinking about the long term, uh, where am I going and how does what I'm going to do today lead or not lead to that larger step? And then the other thing, and I've done this with a client recently, Bonnie, is um, also thinking through what's the ideal day look like? You know, none of us ever have an ideal day, but if we could script out exactly what our day would look like, our not only professionally, but also personally too, what kinds of things would you be doing? Not even so much where you'd work, but what would be the things you would do that you would enjoy so much that you'd lose track of time? And when we think about things from a very broad perspective from that, what I find is is a lot of times we can start to paint some broad brushstrokes of what are the kinds of things that we enjoy in our careers? What do we like to do? What do we, what brings us energy and life? And what do we do where we feel like we're serving others? And tapping into the gifts that we bring. And then from there, oftentimes that can lead to some specific strategies that we would uh, then utilize for our own careers of starting to think of, okay, now what if I stay with my, you know, if I work in my organization, what functionally does that mean that I might do? You know, if I'm in a marketing role, but the kinds of things I really enjoy are more, you know, working with numbers and strategy and planning, I might think about something that's finance related and start thinking about what I can do around that type of thing, just as one example. I know you have some thoughts on this too, Bonnie. Well, I've only really ever been in a position at one point in my career where I actually was faced with a choice that I thought was a very clear-cut career choice. I was a computer instructor very early in my career, and after about a year of doing that, it was a pretty big fork in the road. I could either become more technical on the computer instruction side of things and go in and start teaching network technologies and that type of thing, or I could go into management. That is the only time in a decades long career that I have ever had any sort of a choice. So I tend to be a little bit cynical about this question and I always hope I can hide it from people because it is one we need to be prepared to answer and hopefully not with cynicism. So, uh, but I I, want to just share behind my cynicism because I'm not a typically cynical person, but behind it is, I think it is very challenging to think that far out. I think a more realistic way of looking might be some learning goals, perhaps what's the next step 
Is it that you're looking to have greater levels of management responsibility, or is it that you're looking to become more technically trained in your field? That's broadly speaking, that's a choice a lot of us are faced with. And I think we really have to be self-actualized to not get caught up in, we're always supposed to be moving up in the org chart. I don't think that that is the ideal for all of us. I don't think it's good for us, for our souls, for what we love to do. For many of us, that's the path that we go, but it's the path that we just flow right along. It wasn't one that we really thought consciously about. And some of us don't enjoy that as much as we might have enjoyed the more becoming more of the expert in the field itself. So I want to share a couple of movie quotes that this reminded me of. There's a movie that was out. And when I was growing up, it was the romantic comedy of the day. It's called Say Anything. And John Cusack, an actor here in the States was the main actor. And this is one of his monologues about his career. I don't want to sell anything, buy anything, or process anything as a career. I don't want to sell anything bought or processed, buy anything sold or processed, or process anything sold, bought, or processed, or repair anything sold, bought, or processed. You know, as a career, I don't want to do that. So my father's in the army. He wants me to join, but I can't work for that corporation. So what I've been doing lately is kickboxing. And then another another career quote he says, and I'm done after this, I promise, is how many of them really know what they want, though? I mean, a lot of them think that they have to know, right? But inside, they don't really know. So I don't know, but I know that I don't know. I had a feeling you were going to say something <laughs> like this. And I, I should, uh, I, what I would add to my comment too, is that I don't, I don't love this question either. I used to ask this question more of people in their careers. Like, what do you want to be doing five years from now? And I don't ask this question very much anymore because I just think it's so hard to know what you're going to be doing mm-hmm. five years from now. I do think some broad brushstrokes of knowing what you like to do is really important. So important. And, and I think you could think about it in terms of pragmatically speaking, are you trying to pursue a way of having greater earning potential. Mm -hmm. I think that's important. And I think that's why tools like our our labor department, by the way, if you're listening in another country, no doubt they have a similar resource for you. Your own labor department there would publish those sorts of statistics and information. So in my case, back to the choice I was faced with was that becoming a technical perspective, a technical instructor back then that would have meant going into net teaching network technologies this is back in the day making six figures, that would have been a considerably larger income than the management role ever led to in that company. So if, I mean, not that money is our only choice, but I think it's important for us to be educated about what is a typical salary. There is not a simple reason to explain why women make 76, 78, depending on what study you look at, cents on the dollar when you compare them to men's salaries. There's a lot of complex factors that go into that. But one of the factors that researchers have identified is that we don't negotiate very well for ourselves. We actually negotiate very well for other people, mm-hmm. but we don't negotiate very well. And I'm, I'm speaking generally, of course, some women do it exceptionally well, but it does. it is a trend that some women really struggle with. So when you go out and you educate yourself about pay scales and having that understanding, it can help us advocate for ourselves a little better. So thinking about And you're not going to say this to your manager that bluntly. What I'd like to do in five years is make a lot more money than I do now. But to be thinking about what would that look like to take your talent, 
to take the things that you love to do and that you're good at and really capitalize on that to maximize your income potential. So Aaron, I think we've given you a lot of broad things to think of. One practical, like immediate thing you could do. I love the book, What Colors Your Parachute? Mm-hmm. Not even so much the practical pieces of that book. Like they're, they have all the salary negotiation stuff in there. But but the first part of that book is kind of like the, what do you what do you like to do? What do you want to do? And taking you through a lot of exercises. And I've done that. I think you've worked through that book before too. The absolute hands down favorite. It's Go awesome. get it if you haven't read it. Even if you have, it's time to pick it up again. They publish a new version every year. So check out that. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes. All right. Here's the next question from Berger. Hey, Dave. Thanks for having me. It's a great show and my favorite podcast. My name is Berger. I'm from Germany and work as a senior change manager for an international corporation in the financial sector. My question is as follows. I know Bonnie and you have demanding jobs and successful careers. Besides that, you also have your kids and your time as a couple. I'd like to ask you how you manage to balance work, learning, education, quality time with the kids, time as a couple and time to sustain your health. I often find myself struggling to spend enough time in every area. Hence, I sometimes think I am not as balanced as I could and that there is room for improvement. Could you share some insights on that? Thanks a lot and have a great day. Oh, Berger, thank you so much for the question and glad it's your favorite show. I'm uh, so glad to have you as part of the community. Uh, Berger actually emailed after he sent this question and said that he then listened to episode 123, where John Corcoran and I had mm. talked about work-life balance. They said, oh, that gives me a lot of ideas. So if you haven't listened to that, go back to episode 123. It is one of those longer shows. Um, oh, so but one of my favorites. It was and good. I'm picky John did about a great the job. length, you know, yeah. and that was worth the the length. Oh, it's really great. Anyone listening that hasn't listened, go back. It's it was a great, great show because it was about me. So it must have been a great <laughs> no, show. No, but you two really, you play off we had each fun. other. Really we had well. fun. I'm going to let you start on this one because I you didn't have a chance to be part of that conversation. And I'm curious what you would say as far as work-life balance and some of the things that you know, we do as a family and you do personally? Well, I, I, I think actually your quote that you have here, Dave, it speaks so well to it. So, so if you could read the quote sure, and then, and sure. then I could speak to that because it, it says almost everything that needs to be said. I think this is a quote. I, I think I pulled this out of difficult conversations, actually the book. Uh, the quote is after observing O Sensei, the founder of Aikido sparring with an accomplished fighter, A young student said to the master, you never lose your balance. What is your secret? You are wrong, O-sensei replied. I am constantly losing my balance. My skill lies in my ability to regain it. I absolutely love this quote because it isn't that you find some nirvana and you you have reached the point of perfect balance and then it maintains that way. One important thing, though, I think for all of us to be very self-actualized about is what would balance look like? And so a tool that I like to use is thinking about what would my ideal week look like? And at my at my university where I teach, we have these office hour signs that are done in Microsoft Excel that have the Monday through Friday and, and when we're going to be in our office. I just take that same Excel spreadsheet and I, I add the Saturday, Sunday in and I block the time off. What would the ideal week look like for me? And so I did mention I I'm perhaps might be doing some writing. I also might get rejected and cry a little bit and then I'll be okay. <laughs> and so, um, but, but I did already think about for this fall, I don't, I don't just do work 
personal, but it's actually what kind of work would I be doing? And I think about my high energy points during the day and when might be the ideal time for me to write, when might be the ideal time for me to grade and et cetera. So I have the big three or four main things that encompass my work and have them color coded so I can see that when the time is being spent and they're actually similar colors. So I have Dave and I go on a date night once a week and that is dark red for the romance. So, wow. <laughs> and then I have a lighter pink that is for the family time. So it's, it's, I can see the related colors. Oh, family is more the love, the red, pink sort of shaded. And then for me, the health related things are green, various shades of green. And, and for me, there's different types of, so I have an exercise class that I go to, but then I'm also planning on doing some walks by the beach, which when you walk on the beach, I think serves the purpose of exercise, but also really just as a, it's not as hard of a workout for me, but it's, it's just a really one that I bring a lot more, I gain some more peace from. So thinking about what would it look like? And I just did this for my upcoming fall semester, which starts here in way too soon of a few weeks. And I realized huh, this doesn't look like an ideal week because what I've, what it, all the colors are filled in and there really isn't any time for rest and there isn't any time for friends, for us doing something fun. Dave and I have our date night, but we, and sometimes we will go out with friends on our date night, but I think neither one of us would be happy if that became the norm where we don't really ever spend time, just the two of us, but we're always out with friends. So I thought, well, the, isn't that interesting? There's no rest here and th there's just no time to even just read or, or that kind of thing. It was really a pretty packed in schedule. And then, so I thought, okay, well, I can, I can go and start to tweak some of this. But then I also had to realize we have two small young children. I, I have the friendships that I have during these couple, two, three years of our young children's lives are going to look different than before we had children. And then they will once our children start to go to school. It's just a very demanding time from a physical time standpoint as a parent. I hear yeah. it gets harder from an emotional and decision-making process, but, but well, really. Teenagers are simple, I hear. <laughs> yeah, so I guess I have thought through not what ideal would look like, because no, we're never, it's never going to be perfect. Yeah. We do make choices. And so Dave and I will then sit down and we will be comparing our ideal weeks together before we start what is his work his fiscal year also starts at the same time as my academic year. So it kind of works nicely that we can think through. And then we also make our, our caregiver for our children, our caregiver schedule right around the same time too. And we're able to have these conversations about it. And is there ever tension there? Absolutely. And so working through that tension to where does Dave's ideal not quite look like mine and where are we meeting each other's needs? I would say that's the biggest point of tension that we have in our marriage right now. Um, what? <laughs> I don't mean. <laughs> <laughs> well, we should just press pause and <laughs> let's work it out, baby. We'll be right back. <laughs> uh, no, but I mean, if anything was a point of tension, I think that's the biggest thing we struggle with, which is, okay, work-life balance and who's watching kids and who gets yeah. to work and those working through that. I mean, that's a constant conversation point for us every week, even when it's going well, yeah. we're always dialoguing about that. And because it is so exhausting. It is. Physically it is. exhausting. It is hard. And, 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 and those of you who either have small children or have had small children know exactly what that's like. And so um, <laughs> the one thing I would, I'm cracking up myself. The one thing I would add to this is, uh, well, two things, I guess. I, I got an idea from David Sparks, um, Bonnie, who's a past guest of the show. 
to do your to put in a calendar in your software, whatever you use, as just a template calendar, and to you click on it and it shows the like what would you want the week to perfectly look like, and then he does his schedule off that every week. And I've done that on my calendar. I have mm-hmm. a calendar that you can just click on and it shows like the perfect, of course, it never actually ends up being like that, but at least that's a starting point of like, you do the colors, I do that as my template. It's a starting point for where do, where would I ideally like to be? Yeah. And then I'm, I'm always kind of moving back, like the quote said, I'm always trying to move back if there's a week that there's too much work or anything like that. And then the other, the final thing I'd say that I don't think um, John and I talked about in that episode is what do we not do? And I think that that's part of the work-life balance too is, for example, I am not involved really in hardly any professional organizations right now. Like if I think of like, you know, like dinner meetings, those kinds of things, I did that for many years before we had kids. And I, I you know, it just, it's not something that I can, I probably should do some of that, but going somewhere that, you know, you have to leave and go out to dinner and meet with people in the networking events, it takes so much time. And in the evenings with family, I just don't do any of that right now. I let all of those memberships expire. And while there's some loss there professionally, I just think that it's not worth it for the amount of stress that that would add to our lives and our family. And so that's just something I've given up. And there's there's a whole bunch of things that I don't do now that I think really helps with work-life balance in a lot of ways. So so that's the, hopefully that's a, that's helpful, a Burger, with a few ideas there. And again, episode 123, lots there as well. So let's take, uh, let's look at a question here from Mike. Mike sent in a question. He said, I've started to set expectations and coaching within a role, but I'm finding it very difficult to get any engagement with anything I do. It feels like I'm an outsider and they would quite like to leave it the way it is. I've looked for quick wins and found a few, but again, they seem to be disengaged. A different perspective may be good. What's your thoughts? And I believe if I'm remembering right, Mike is in a fairly new role in a management role that he has uh, assumed in the recent past. So, uh, you know, this is always difficult when you walk into a challenging situation and you walk into a challenging uh, cultural situation. You know, Mike, I guess I would there's two things that immediately come to mind. And of course, there's a lot we don't know about this as with many of the questions here. One of them is, um, what is, where are you going? Where's this organization and this team going? And I think one of the things that if there is not a nobler goal or a vision that the group is, that the team is working towards, it is so easy for people to get caught up in the what's not working, how have we always done things around here. And so one of the things from a leadership standpoint, I think all of us have a responsibility to do is to take the time to listen, to figure out what the vision for the organization should be and then to to be able to communicate that in a very clear way and in a consistent way. So one of the questions I'd have for you, Mike, is has that been done? Have you taken the time to go through a process of really thinking through what is the vision for the organization? Where is the organization going? Or is your attention focused on just kind of what the problem areas are and how you'd resolve those? The other thing that makes me, you know, when I think of this is it sounds like your organization may be an organization that would benefit going through doing some thinking around the culture or changing things about the dynamics. Um, one book that I often utilize with clients and I, re- I recommend often and, and a model that I think is very accessible for most of us is a book by John Cotter called Leading Change. It is a eight-step model 
for how to take an organization that needs to make a change and to walk them through that change. And he has a couple of accompanying books that go along with that. Um, it's a really powerful model. It's simple, but it's if you do it well and you um, or stay true to it, it can really take you in a lot of ways and get you thinking about the planning pieces that you should do before trying to change an organization, which is what, by the way, most managers and leaders skip. They start doing things without thinking through the process of how to actually affect change. Bonnie, anything you want to add to that? One of the things you didn't mention was how large this group is that you're leading and whether or not you consider them to be a team. So we want to think about, is this a group of people that need to work interdependently in order to achieve a goal? And ideally, the size of a true team is going to be about five to seven people. You start talking about 20 people, you can't really work as a team, 20 people. Yeah. So you might be thinking about the organizational design and whether it is optimum for doing the types of work and achieving the types of goals that you have. I have a couple of thoughts. Another resource as far as a book goes, Patrick Lencioni has The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Mm, great book. It is a very short book. It's also a very inexpensive book that you could purchase for everyone on your team, again, if it's considered to be a team, and has at the back of it a assessment that's very informal to be able to take, and that could really unroot perhaps some of the issues that might be going on in this team. I will tell you, when you decide to partake in an adventure like that, be ready for, if you if you sense it, it is often an indicator that there is far more there than you could ever imagine. So if you do tend to be more of an intuitive person and are often able to assess things like that, that is something to listen to, but be prepared for what might you might unearth. And on the other entirely different side of the fence, it may just be a group of people that is not accustomed to working as close knit as you might be. It might be a cultural difference where they still are able to achieve the goals. They still are people who are working diligently. It just is a different style than perhaps that you're accustomed to. And of course it isn't is impossible for us to know. So there may really be issues there in, in terms of people's motivation and engagement, and that's that's affecting the company and, and your ability to meet the goals. It also may just be a very different type of people. And people tend to hire people that are like them. So so that could be why why people are behaving the way they are. Five Dysfunctions of a Team, great book. Also on my top 10 books. So Good, a good, a good read for sure. Okay, we have time for one more question. This one is from Danielle. Danielle says, I just started my job. Congratulations, Danielle. And I am really excited to hit the ground running with lots of ongoing projects. One theme in particular that is highly important and consistent in my current assignments is the concept of customer retention strategy. I just need to know two things. Uh, in your personal professional experience, have there been any particular practices or techniques you have implemented that have proven successful? And are there any resources, materials you may suggest that would prove useful for my research books, articles, videos? And I know, Bonnie, you have some thoughts on this immediately. I have two. One that has worked for me very well in my career early on is there's a wonderful video and also associated book from the, it's called Fish with an exclamation mark after it. And it is a story about the pike place fish market in Seattle and their culture that they have ingrained in their fish market that is one of having fun and serving customers well and it is such a wonderful example colorful story 
of a culture that really cares about customers and really cares about employees and people working together to serve people well and having fun while they're doing it. It is very inspirational. It would need to fit the culture. You don't need to be a fish market, of course. You could be any, you could be a group of accountants who serve your customers, but it does have a fun element to it. And it, so that would need to resonate with you as a leader and also with the culture where you are. But it's a wonderful resource. And then one that I have not used formally, as in I have not used their instruments or their, their tools, but there is what's called a net promoter score. And this organization has done extensive research around how likely your customers are to buy from you and which ones are the most loyal and the highest purchasers. And it tends to come down to ones who will answer the following question as yes. And the question is, would you recommend our company to your friends? And so you think of all the things you could possibly ask that happens to be through their research, the one thing that's going to be the different, the difference maker in customer retention and also having customers that spend the most with your organization too. So you would, I mean, that can be something that you can just ask, but they also have a whole bunch of resources and consulting that they do. I mean, they have a whole brand built around it. So that's the net promoter score. It was originally an article. Their research was published in the Harvard Business Review. You could read about that in their archives. And then now they've built a consulting arm around it too. And I've not used the consulting, like I said, but that idea behind asking, would you recommend us to other people is is a, certainly a good one and, and a really simple way of just, seeing what, what your customers think. Yeah, I've, I've heard of that uh, net promoting promoter score too. So good stuff to look into. And I, I would add two things. The, you know, I read a book a few years ago by Gary Vaynerchuk called Crush It, which is kind of like a, it's more of like an online marketing type book. But one of the chapters in the book is how to treat customers. And you open it up, I don't forget which chapter it is, and it's blank. And there's only one word on the front of the page of the chapter. And the word is care. <laughs> I love it. And I've had I've actually had some long conversations about that chapter with a few people because at the end of the day, it's how well you really care and listen to people and then follow up and then do things. And so a practical guide to that that I've read recently is a book called The Lean Startup by Eric Reese. It's pretty popular in the, you know, entrepreneurial circles right now. Um but but even if you're not in a startup, don't discount the book. I did for a long time. That's why I didn't read it, but I've read it recently. And let me tell you, it is a fantastic model, um, particularly if you're doing something new of getting feedback from your customers, because his whole thing is build something small, start with the minimum thing you need to start with, and then spend a lot of time listening, engaging with your customers. Um, he tells a great story of how Quicken has really changed changed their whole business model on software just by following the strategy um, or, or the uh, Intuit company rather, not Quicken specifically. But um, it's it's just it's just a, an amazing model for that. So I would really uh, I would really encourage that. And so check that out if that's helpful as well. So I think that's just going to about do it for our time here on questions. Um, I do want to let you know we are going to do another Q and A show coming up in a month. So we're going to do the first Monday of the month. I would love your feedback on what you thought about this show, and particularly if you have comments, questions, or additions to our answers. Uh, we do not have the monopoly of wisdom on this by any means. So add in your thoughts as well. Coachingforleaders.com slash 152 is where to go to the show notes and all the things we have 
mention here today. And if you have a question for our next show, our next show is going to be episode 156. It'll air September 1st, the Q&A show rather. And it's going to be on getting organized. It's the beginning of the academic year for kids and all that going back to school. And for Bonnie, of course, because you're teaching. Um, but I, I think it's kind of a good time in the year to kind of regroup and summer vacations over for a lot of people and summer trips are over. Um, so we're going to do a show on getting organized. So if you have a question on that, you know, that's a pretty broad topic. So get your questions in at coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. And I also want to say a very special thank you to those of you this week who joined in on the weekly update. If you don't already know, the weekly update goes out every Wednesday. It includes an article from me that will help you in your leadership skills. And in addition, it always includes the show notes for this show every week, including all the links that we mentioned, book references, tools, resources. And so you can get on that as well. The following people have joined in the last week. Tim Stringer, who was last week's guest. Hi, Tim. Mark Schroeder, Andrew Martin, Luke Hamill, Ada Okatani, Andrea Collins, Darren Steele, Tom Tranto, Elena Dumatreshu. Hope I said that okay, Elena. Adi Ramashkrina, Javier Sidelin, Michelle Smoot, Kathleen Fardin, and David Welch. Thank you so much, all of you, for joining. And if you'd like to uh, be a part of that as well, just go to coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe. And in addition to getting the update each Wednesday, you'll also get the 10 leadership books, uh, the guide to the 10 leadership books that will help you get better results from others. I keep saying the 10 leadership books, Bonnie, but you don't actually get 10 books. It's just the guide to the 10 books. One of them is The Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Patrick Lencioni. Uh, there's nine others. And if you want that as well, go to coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe, and that will get you on that as well. Also, thank you this week to two people. Uh, the person with the username JMW0428 <laughs> and also uh, my buddy Evelina out in Finland. Thank you to both of you. They both left wonderful reviews on the iTunes store this week about the show. Um, at Bonnie, Evelina had emailed me after leaving her review saying she once missed her bus stop on the way to work because she was listening to a, a, a captivating interview. She didn't say which one. So thanks to both of you. And, and if you have benefited from this show, I would love your feedback and a, li- a written review on either iTunes or Stitcher as well. Coachingforleaders.com slash iTunes or coachingforleaders.com slash Stitcher. Hey, we'll see you next week back for our normal, uh, our normal model. Take care.